Welcome back to Dear Adam Silver, a show about sports, art, and the creative space they share. My name is Abigail Smithson, and I am a visual artist based in Tucson, Arizona. On the pod today, we have Abdi Farah, um, an artist based in New Orleans. Some of you might remember him from previous episodes. Abdi uh, holds the title of being my most frequent guest so far, which is a pretty amazing accomplishment, I think. Um, and today, Abdi and I sort of catch up with each other. We haven't uh, spoken since, basically, or haven't recorded a podcast since right before the NBA Finals ended, so lots to catch up on. Um, and we actually ended up talking for like three hours um, for this podcast, and so I've broken it up into two parts, and today's part is the more sort of fine arts-focused uh section of our conversation and we also discuss further China uh, the China NBA debacle that's ongoing and uh, unpack that a little bit further it was great to get someone else's perspective on that and to to share different sort of interpretations of of where that could go or how it could have been handled differently so that's today's episode is sort of talking about our work and and uh, my time in Lithuania, Abdi's recent body of work, and then also getting into the the situation in China or, you know, between China and the NBA. And then uh, later in the week, I'll release the second half of the conversation. And that is our NBA hot takes first two weeks of the season. What looks good? What's driving us crazy? What we're excited about? And all of that. So, yep that's what we're going to do. Um, just so there wouldn't be just one three hour episode, just kind of breaking up into themes. And I hope you all enjoy. I would also really appreciate it if anyone listening would rate and review this podcast. Uh, it really helps new people find the podcast and, uh, yeah, it's just really beneficial to, to sort of what we're building over here. So if you do listen and you do like it, feel free to, leave a great review and rating. And if you don't listen and you don't like it, also feel free to leave a great review and a great rating. Either way, you know, it helps. And feel free to lie if you need to. All right, thanks so much for listening. Here we go. So basically, I was hoping we could just catch up for a little bit. And um, first of all, if you could just tell me what's been going on with you and your work and how your show went at Antenna. Um, and all of that, and it's football season, so I was just wondering how that's going for you, and if you're teaching and things like that. Oh, yeah, 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 and then we also need to, I would love to hear about the kind of, we're here in Lithuania for residency. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah, of course, I will definitely, I would love to, love to share. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, things are good, yeah, I feel like we last chatted, during the finals yeah, so basically the the summer and then this kind of early part of the fall yeah i had a show at a gallery in new orleans that i work with an artist-run space called antenna which is just a really great program and space within new orleans um they're connected with this nonprofit called press street that does a lot of kind of arts and literacy work within the city um they also have their own kind of printmaking and book press and um yeah they just do some really good stuff but then the space i've kind of worked with for the last year and the show went well it was 
um, it wasn't like a, a, a clear break from some of the stuff that I've been doing, but um, was definitely trying some new things formally within the work and things are, are shifting a bit. I feel like the work is getting a little bit more abstract while also getting a little more autobiographical in a way. Mm-hmm. So I haven't been doing, I've been going to some football games, uh, going to one like a homecoming tonight for one of the teams I work with. Uh, but I've been kind of divorcing myself from the very explicit, like photographing of the kind of high school athletes and doing work that's interpretive of that. And the work is getting a little, hopefully a little stranger, a little more, a lot of this, it wasn't the work in the antenna show. The antenna show was a lot of some of the other stuff that I've been working on. Mm-hmm. Um, but the next stuff that I'm working on kind of coming out of that show, um, taking a lot of the, some of the the forms and structures that I've been seeing within sports in general and seeing what that looks like on a stranger level and on a personal level. So I've been working on these, um, I've been kind of trying to think of myself, not as, not as a brand, but as like a non-human entity in a way Mm. and thinking of like, what, what does it look like to create things around that? So I've been making these like jerseys that represent like different parts of my like personality or history. And like the idea further is to maybe find like different people to activate these kind of objects that I'm making, like have different people wear things, hopefully as this like opening to a larger conversation of like, what does it mean? I think we're, we're seeing that a lot in sports now. with like some of the weird things that are happening in certain teams and some of the owners, when you're a player or like some of the stuff with the NCAA, when you're a player, you're so a part of the working class Mm -hmm. of things and you're so subject to whatever is going on around you. If, if like the owner sells a team or if the owner's in trouble or if something in the front office happens and something in the larger league happens and you're called to, to be a face of that, even though it might not be yours. So what does it look like for me as an artist to like, like cover over someone else or bring someone else into my own personal weirdnesses and messes and yeah. strange thing. I don't know. The, the work is still like very much in progress, but yeah, it's nice to kind of talk through it a bit. Yes. This is so interesting. So this idea that someone would kind of literally sort of wear you. Yeah, very much so. It's like, okay. what I'm, I'm working on, I don't, I don't play baseball at all, but I really like baseball jerseys. So I'm making these yeah. kind of baseball jerseys with weird ideas and, names and phrases on them right now right. I'm, I'm also really into like the um kind of eight 1980s 90s like nike posters that i mean jeff coons did a lot of work with them but those kind of nike posters yeah. that it would have like a like king griffey jr or i don't know michael jordan or somebody on it and they're always they're always like playing the game but also in this like really stylized fashion and there's so much kind of artifice within it I'm, I'm really interested in that what does it look like for for me to kind of occupy uh 
not really appropriating those things because I'm not like using any source material from that, but thinking of that as a form to work within and kind of filling some of those photographs and spaces with some of the stuff I'm creating. Yeah. So are you working on those types of, are you, did you say that you were like literally working with those images or is it something like that that you're working with? Yeah. Well, yeah. Not using the actual appropriate images, but kind of recreating my own. Mm-hmm. It's almost like me. I'm not a photographer in the least, but kind of dabbling in constructing these photographic scenes that have either myself or some other people kind of populating them. And then some of the things I'm creating within it. So like maybe I'll make, I'll make this Jersey and I'll have myself or somebody else wearing it kind of photograph this fanciful, fanciful scene of something that might've been in one of those kind of Nike ads, but still with like something a little off kilter that I'm promoting or talking about or talking around um, and just seeing where it goes from there. Yeah, for some reason, like the the antenna show that I just had, I don't think it's my last show, but it, it felt like the end of like me putting just like things stretched on canvas on the wall. I don't know. Yeah. Like, there has to be whatever I'm whatever I'm doing next needs to have something else in it. That's exciting. I think that's an exciting feeling, um, even if it means that there's a lot of questions to be answered. Uh, I think it's nice to to know that you're uh, going to move on or try something new. Yeah, and I might be back to paintings next year. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> or know, next there, month. There was I, one... I like change by the hour. Right. There was one painting. I think it was a painting from that show. It was like a male figure that was sort of walking, not away from the viewer, but it was like a profile. Yeah, he's, like, turned to the side. Yes, he's, he's, like, kind of pulling off his, face. like, jersey. Yeah. Yeah, that's such, that was such a good piece. It was really, Thank really good. Thank you very much. Appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, that one has just yeah, stayed that... with me. And I remember when I saw it, I was like, damn, Abdi. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That That is the exact response I'm trying to get with anything that I make. Yeah. No, it just, that was kind of um, just, as far as what we had talked about your work, um, sort of, meaning or or conceptually what it was about before i was like this kind of um touching on all of it so yeah that was great yeah that see yeah that's the kind of sticky point it's like that some of that work was like all right i'm getting somewhere here at the same time where i i kind of feel like i'm running out of rope on that like Mm -hmm. like the stuff i was doing with the high school football players but it's like maybe I need to, so I'm already kind of working on some, some stuff still within that vein, but it feels a little less relevant, but I'm like, man, I think I was like, maybe I shouldn't leave that party too soon. Um, (laughs) So we'll see. Yeah. There, there, there may actually be some more within that kind of line of work. And that, that was part of what was getting me to just thinking a little bit more abstractly, like very much like the identity of the figure you can't really see, but there are these like bits of humanity that break through, whether it's just like an arm or like part of the figure's back or something like that yeah. that's coming through. Um, yeah, so I'm trying to keep that mode of thinking present in this less 
representational work that I'm doing right now. Yeah, and I mean, it sounds like there's already a connection between sort of losing or the athlete as a human or what how the athlete gets sort of, we kind of lose the humanity of um, athletes like as they're uh, become sort of, they become kind of objectified. Um, sure. So I feel like that's already, I mean, what you're talking about with wanting to make that more pronounced in the, in the new work or, or put these pieces of who you are on it, it sounds like that's like a, a crossing over. Just yeah, because I don't want to, yeah. I don't want to, yeah, because I, I, I think I got to this point maybe just in the last year or so where I feel like I, so I originally got into this work as this kind of roundabout way of self-portraiture, kind of looking at these high school athletes as uh, like like versions of my past self. And then somewhere along the lines, it got, it kind of zoomed out and became this larger rumination on like the place of the athlete within like modern society. Like a lot of stuff you're talking about on this podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, At some point I realized that I think we do a lot of like othering of these kind of celebrities and these athletes. And we kind of think that they're, predicament in the world is so different from ours and they're under this heightened scrutiny and there are all these forces that are both kind of deifying and objectifying them. And I'm starting to just realize that those same forces are working on every individual in a way, Um, like whether it is the divide between whatever an actual self may be and whatever we're projecting online or in like a work sphere or in other social settings like what are these things that are asked of us and yeah how yeah yeah it's 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 just becoming a lot more personal in a way yeah yeah yes yeah I think that's exciting uh yeah it sounds interesting and like multifaceted and seems like, yeah, I think it's pretty endless. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think, anything, I mean, it's the reason why we can just keep talking about basketball and sports. It's just never ending in what it's going to like the different conundrum. It's going to throw at you next. I know. I know. I was just thinking that, um, yeah, like when I was in Lithuania, it seemed like it was so difficult to explain some of the, the work that I had done previously about basketball because r- issues of race are not issues in Lithuania. Um, yeah, they're completely different. B- because there's not that many, it's just there's not the same history, of course, and it's not as diverse of a place as, as the United States. So um, sure. there's just not, it's not something that's that's coming up as much. So it was like so difficult to, so it was, it was kind of just having to rethink how to, because everything pretty much in the past five years in my head about basketball has had to do with um, looking at it through the lens uh, of race, at least professional basketball. Interesting, um, yeah. It seems, and so, yeah, I just, I was not able to connect. It was really like I wasn't, no one was interested in, like, anything I had made before arriving there because I was not able to present it. It seemed I was not able to present it in a way um, without talking about this thing that's specific to the American experience. 
And of course, it exists other places, but just does not exist in that way in Lithuania, you know? Um, So yeah, I think that you're right that there's this kind of endless, like just when you think you figured out, (laughs) it changes because within a different context, it means something else. Um, Were you making, was this an art residency? Like, were you producing new things while you were in Lithuania? Yes. So I was making, I was doing research about the woman who organized the first game of women's basketball ever, or what is known to be the first game of women's basketball. Um, Interesting. Like, like, like worldwide or just in Lithuania? Worldwide. So, but also this was at Smith College that this game was played in like 1893. And at that time, Smith College was segregated. So of course it was the first game. It is said to be the first game of women's basketball, but it wasn't an inclusive space. So it was for, for white women. Um, uh, okay, so basically this woman who organized that game was born in this tiny village in what is now Lithuania and what was then when she was born there it was it was Russia. So we so I went with a collaborator of mine to through this photography gallery um to research about her and to see like w- what people know about her there and how her story kind of lives there and like what what she means to Lithuania. Yeah. Because That's Lithuania is like this. Is she is she like a person of interest there, or do they just not really? Because Lithuania, I mean, basketball is huge in Lithuania, right. so you would think she would be like one of their figures, maybe. Totally. Um, it seems like men's basketball. I mean, so that was like the issue that we kept coming like running into was that men's basketball is just so much more popular in Lithuania that like sure. people aren't even that often thinking about women's basketball and then also are not thinking about then who who created it um so it it was it seems like in this village so we were staying in a city and then we'd go to this village that was about an hour and 15 minutes from the city to and that was where she was from and that's where we were making most of our work and the people there you know the principal of the school there it's about a, a village of a thousand people the principal of the school there and uh, this local historian and the mayor are all really interested in her, in Tenda Berenson, this woman who uh, started women's basketball. So there is interest in the village and they're, they, they want in, to... In the actual village she's from. Yes, in the village she's from. So gotcha. they know where she... They know like what property she lived on. Um, they... Yeah, they're, they're aware of her story and they're interested in... So this is like where we come into it, but they're they're interested in the future and like permanently memorializing her in some way through some kind of sculpture or I'm not sure Ooh. something in the in the village square, um, which would be very very exciting. So um, yeah, it just it seemed so. Going back to what you said about having put up the your paintings on the wall and and um, had a feeling kind of about this might be the last time I do this for a while or something needs to shift. Um, while we were there, like one of the things that we did that I felt most strongly about was that the family that lives in the house that sits on the property that this woman, Senda Berenson, was born on and, and lived on, um, they let us use like the side of her house to just project images of, of women's basketball. Um, this was this was one night. So we like put together this slideshow of images of Senda Berenson. This is like these are images taken at like the end of the 19th century and then kind of all these images of Lithuanian women's basketball. So sort of this idea that she immigrated to the United States, 
and developed basketball, but then women's basketball came back to Lithuania. So like her legacy, as far as sort of organizing women's basketball, lives on in Lithuania, where she's from. So yeah, that was just really magical. Like this, we had a huge turnout from the village and just, it was, it was very short. It was like 15 minute long projection. And, you know, everything we said about the photographs was being translated, but all these people and like dogs were just hanging out watching (laughs) this projection. And, you know, the woman who lived in the building made hot tea for everyone. And there were all these cookies and, and snacks. And it was just like, yeah, this feels good. Like, this feels better than maybe being in a gallery or something that's more um, sort of the the pinnacle of of showing your art. Like, it felt good to just kind of be, like, in this space, you know? In, in the place where you're actually... In the place of the subject you're actually investigating and exactly. being there. Did it, did it seem like people were um, familiar with the story or was this like something dawning on them like oh cool I didn't realize that (laughs) like this figure was from my town I don't know yeah it felt like half and half um it felt like some people we met were really excited um there's also this sort of village museum there and uh they have you know some information about her but it's mostly from wikipedia and stuff like that um so there's definitely a few resources for people who are interested but there were other there were other people in the village who, you know, it didn't seem like they were aware of it before we we started talking about it, which I think was, of course, also like an important space to be sensitive in because we don't want to be sort of, hey, we're, fr-, you know, my, my collaborator's from Brazil, I'm from the United States, and we're just like going to Lithuania and being like, hey, like, do you know about the history of your village? <laughs> you yeah, know, let, me, like, let me tell you about your why haven't you, you know, put up a statue for her yet? So I just, I think we were wanting to, and I mean, it ended up being a collaboration. Like we had help putting up like the, the cloth for the projections and like there was just, it ended up kind of being like a group effort from people that lived in the village and us to make this, this sort of event happen. And that felt better than us just like showing up or going to this village, like taking a bunch of photos and then leaving and like showing those photos in the United States or wherever, you know, it just, it felt good to have like the art live there. Yeah. Um, So, and not just like kind of mine, everything from this place, bring it back to some art world public in the States that could care less about it. Right. It just seems like this is a specific story and I think it's interesting and I hope that other people might, but there's so few places that it that the art about this place should live. Like it's like it should be in the village. It could be at Smith College and it could be at some like Jewish history place. You know, it's like it's not yeah. like it can fit into every context and it shouldn't fit into every context because I think it means more when it's um, when it lives in certain places. So that was kind of an exciting experience to to realize that, oh, you know, like it's okay if, if this just happens here and, and, and that's it. Yeah. How long were y'all in Lithuania overall? We were there for five weeks. Um, okay. That's yeah. a chunk. It was a chunk. And, uh, our, <laughs> I think it was just, um, our goal with the language was just to figure out how to differentiate between Russian and Lithuanian, uh, because both of those languages sounded so new and strange to us that, uh, yeah. in the beginning, I think we were, you know, it was hard to keep up, but by the end we were like, okay, these people are speaking Russian. These people are speaking Lithuanian. Um, and that was, that was important. And it was a really, 
Um, besides the language barrier, I think because so much of, I mean, everything we said to almost everyone in this village was translated. So we were never able to communicate directly. Uh, besides that, because sometimes, you know, you just want to put it into your own words or really sure. emphasize to people like how, you know, we came to Lithuania just for this, like for no other reason, but for this story, but for this place. Yeah. To get your motivations across. Yes. So it's like, I wanted to, you know, put my hand over my heart and like explain with so much (laughs) like intensity, how much, how important it was for us to be there. And it's hard to do that when like, it's then going through someone else. Um, but yeah, besides that, I felt like we were able to accomplish, um, I mean, it, it did, it wasn't a barrier. It was just more of realizing that it, it is, it's something I took for granted that when I've when I've made things in the United States that have been successful in some way that have been social practice, I never thought like, wow, how hard would this be if I didn't speak the same language as this person? So hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. But that was good. And we, we went to Smith College after, um, to give a presentation there on on like what we had done in Lithuania and that was also really like a nice way to kind of just to figure out a way to connect these two places where the people are kind of unaware of each other. But maybe that's what our job is, is because we had the ability to, or had the ability to go to both of these places. Uh, we can get information from like the archives at Smith to the archives in Butramonis, this village, like that we can connect these two places uh, to each other. Um, yeah, so that seemed like a, a positive, a positive way to be an artist in like a space that you're not you're not of oh yeah yeah and to be able to connect because was there a was was some of this kind of a refresher to smith as well or was it a little more was the history a little more present at smith college because i'm I'm thinking they probably don't even really like i don't i don't really think of smith as being a like a basketball powerhouse. Totally. I mean, I think, so she's definitely more present there. And like, just because she lived there as an adult, there's like way more archives. And plus like when she lived in Lithuania, it was actually Russia and now it's Lithuania. So it's like gone back and forth a couple of times. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there was much more information about her at Smith, but you know, I, I don't think it's not like all the students that we spoke to were like, oh, yeah, send a Berenson. Like, she's why I came here. Or like, you know, I love her. It's just it, it was still kind of. And I mean, it was so long ago. This was she. This, yeah. Like 1893. So it's just been um, I feel like sometimes when you go so far back, it's hard to sort of elicit as much excitement about, yeah, this person was here, you know. So I think it's easy for me because I'm like I'm really interested in basketball history and how it aligns with with the history of the United States and these and other parts of the world but it's not going to be true for everybody so I think that that was a but but everyone that came to our lecture and um seemed not everyone but it seemed like there was a lot of really good questions after the lecture about uh sort of like what's going to happen next and where this work belongs and and her story and and what it meant to Lithuania and all these things yeah, were were you able back to Lithuania? Were they yeah. like, um, are they are they into the NBA? Are they like all about? Isn't isn't Doncic from uh, Lithuania? 
Uh, he is from Slovenia, I think. Slovenia, but, um, I'm so sorry. No, it's okay. <laughs> um, but Jonas Valanciunas. Valanciunas. Um, Valanciunas is from Lithuania and uh, Sabonis, both the younger and the older. Um, oh, yeah. See, that's, yeah. that's the That's it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Arvita Sabonis is like probably like they're Michael Jordan. <laughs> totally. Okay, so that's what I've been saying. So there's this also yeah. um, one thing that's interesting about being in Lithuania is that Everyone we wanted to speak to, everyone we sort of, you know, we would ask the the people who ran the photography gallery, like, oh, we're interested in speaking to the the woman who runs women's basketball in Lithuania. And like everyone like that that we wanted to speak to, we had we had access to. And I think it's because it's like a smaller place. It's just everyone is more involved with everyone else and people are more sure. reachable. Um, so that was a really incredible thing. And like multiple times we were told that we should be put in like that we could meet Arvita Sabonis, which was crazy oh, because, it. <laughs> because it's like, you know, um, I don't care where I am in North Carolina. No one's going to be like, oh, yeah, let me put you. You have a podcast about basketball. Yeah. Let me put you in touch with Michael Jordan. Like, that's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, he, he lives up the street. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly. We were at this cafe with a historian in Lithuania and in the city that we were staying in, it's, it's called Konis. And, uh, he was like, yeah, you should talk to Arvidas Sabonis. Uh, let me ask where he lives. And he turned to the waitress and was like, Hey, do you know where Arvidas Sabonis lives? And she was like, Oh, I don't know. Let me ask the bartender. And I was like, what is happening? I mean, and then she came back and was like, yeah, he lives like up the street. <laughs> so, oh my goodness. so it's so interesting. And I mean, so I would really like to, to, so there's some future plans that we have hopefully in the mix to go back and possibly, um, Work yeah, have, have Arvidas on the on the podcast. Yeah, gotta get Arvidas on the podcast and get him on board with with like sort of preserving Senda Berenson's story in Lithuania. Um, but we were also there during the World Cup, which was very exciting because it oh, true, like yeah, that was a big just like you know when uh, you're in uh, NBA City in the United States and you you go out like all the bars are playing the the basketball games whatever World Cup games. yeah so it's like that was it was like everyone was playing world cup games and it was just um there's a lot of passion a lot of excitement and then a lot of disappointment because yeah because uh, they were picked to do really well and they yeah. kind of did not it was actually awful like it took me about half a second to be so invested in like the lithuanian national team it was so funny i mean just because everyone else was just there was just so much excitement about them being. Yeah, if I'm there. in a different country while that country is playing some yes. major sports event, it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of you're rooting against your own fun if you're not rooting for that team. Totally. So that was it. Was that was really enjoyable? Um, yeah, and there's, I mean, there's a lot of, and I sort of knew about this before going there, but it was something that was definitely cemented that basketball is seen as at least during the Soviet occupation of Lithuania, it was used as a way to, for, it was when Lithuanian people could show aggression towards Russia. Yeah. Uh, because yeah. So it's like when the, when the Konis team played the Moscow team and Arvida Sabonis was on the Konis team, like they could show anger towards the Moscow team, which was showing anger towards Moscow. As I understand it, that's what made basketball so exciting and and because it was so political. Um, it was, yeah, and more than just showing aggression, like winning. and like Right, beating. dominating. <laughs> and like then all the, the Lithuanian players would be on the 
the Soviet team and they would want everyone to know, like, we're actually Lithuanian, you know, like, it's so, it's such an interesting dynamic how that's, how basketball became this kind of outlet for that. Uh, yeah, it was fascinating. Very cool. When, when are y'all planning to go back? Oh, or, or is that just like kind of so possibility, there's a, but not um, definite? There's a dream. So basically, this, there's this whole other story that the that the first official game of basketball ever played in Lithuania was a men's game, and it was played in 1922. But there's also this underlying truth that the first unofficial game was played by women in 1921. Ooh, um, so hidden history. Yes, yeah, in history, as always. Um, so. Lithuania is gearing up for like the 100 year celebration of basketball there in 2022. And we kind of want to subvert this official celebration and go in 2021 and like work with this village to maybe organize some celebration of Senda Berenson and also of women's basketball in Lithuania um, at the same time and maybe host like a regional women's uh, girls basketball tournament or something like that, like in the village. Wow, this seems um, like something the like the WNBA needs to get in on. Yeah, that would be great. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, thank you for reminding me. Yeah, they really yeah, do. I, I mean, like, I yeah. just um that was actually one of the questions at the lecture this woman asked if the WNBA knew about it and I was like, "No, I mean they should. I don't really know who to contact there." Um, well, it's interesting because like women's basketball, well like men's basketball since I mean, the NBA is, what, 70 years old? So, and then basketball, I mean, in its current state is only like 120 years old. So, yeah. so much of men's basketball is intertwined with the NBA, whereas women's basketball has had so many kind of different lives, not totally. all of them necessarily connected with the WNBA. Like, they're there are hugely successful women's players who will have never and, and will never associate with the WNBA. So that's just a difference. Um, it's not like it, it's just a thought that kind of came to my brain, but it, it makes sense that it's not like a guaranteed connection. Right. Yeah, no, and it's, it's just um, definitely, I think it's hard to sort of, connect the dots because of how broken up things have been and, and how many sort of ways, different iterations of women's basketball there has been. Um, we were also really interested in trying to get the uh, the uh, Hall of Fame, the Basketball Hall of Fame, like interested in our work because Senda Berenson is Ooh. in the Basketball Hall of Fame. She's actually the first woman to be inaugurated. And it was like... Oh, this, so she's in there already, yeah. Yes, and nice. this it was like the Smith professor that was like advocating her for her for like... I think it took... This is so awful. It took like 14 years to get her in. I mean, they voted on it several times and like voted to not... Um, not bring her in. This was in like from night between 1971 and like 1985. Um, but she was still the first, yeah. even with all that, first woman inducted. So there were two other women inducted the same year, but she was like the first one to be decided to be inducted. Interesting. Is how we understand it. Yeah. Wow. And I mean, the Basketball Hall of Fame is also like so close to Smith. Um, so it yeah, just... Yeah, and have you, have you been before? No. So I was trying to go when we were at Smith because I had this idea of kind of, you know, maybe they're the basketball hall of fame is meant to preserve 
the history of basketball. And, you know, we had just been making this work about one of the, you know, the mother of basketball, like her home, home village. And we've been making all these cyanotypes. And I was like, maybe if I talk to someone who like has some kind of creative intuition, like we could show some of our photographs like at the hall of fame. Um, but we, we couldn't make a connection while we were there. Have you been? Yeah, I went, (laughs) me and my mom did like a road trip to the basketball hall of fame when I was in like high school. Maybe I was like 14 or 15. (laughs) It was great. Yeah. Yeah. I need to go back. Cause that was, I mean, to date myself, that was probably like 15 years ago uh, or probably longer. And since then, literally my favorite player is in the Hall of Fame now, Alan Iverson. I need to go and like go there and like see his picture and all that good stuff and jerseys or, yeah, (laughs) he's still alive, but yeah, pay my respect. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was pretty fun. I mean, I don't really know what it, like I wasn't really an artist then so I don't think I had like a aesthetic I mean I'm sure I've thought about it aesthetically but I'm wondering if I'll go in now and think of it as kind of a like schlocky or kitschy or corny place but when I went there as a teenager it seemed very like hollowed and spiritual and felt (laughs) big I don't I don't know if it feels big now Um, but yeah it was really quite cool yeah, that's exciting. I would love to, I'd love to make a pilgrimage there as well. So it's good to know that, I mean, sometimes kitschy can also be spiritual. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah, I don't know why. Yeah, they're they're not mutually exclusive. <laughs> yes, and I think that there was this other situation that came up when I was in Lithuania that we went to a basketball museum there and it was just so, I mean, this guy had everything. Like he had so many shoes signed by Sabonis. He had the guitar that this other, um, I'm forgetting his name, but he was also a Lithuanian basketball player that played in the NBA and he used to play the guitar. Uh, he played for the, uh, he actually played for the Warriors and then he also, I think he played for the Blazers. Anyways, like he had his guitar, he had basketball light fixtures, he had basketball shaped doors that, that opened up. Um, he had just everything. And I was just want like this, this, this line between kitsch and, um, and beautiful and what those sort of perspectives can be like, especially when you're in a different country and me being like, wow, this is over the top. This is crazy. And not wanting to, what if, I mean, maybe this guy does not think it's over the top. This guy that runs the museum, <laughs> maybe he but thinks yeah, it's this like, is the way it had to be. <laughs> yeah, this is the way it had to be. Like it had to be, um, we had to get these like basketball, you know, you have, there's like a golden throne that you can sit on in the golden room where all the championships are. You know, it just, it was crazy. So, but I mean, I think that it's, it's all about finding this balance of using your, your own sort of background to say like, what is, what's happening here? And also be like, you know, this, the person that's hosting me right now might have a totally different understanding of what this place means. Oh yeah. You're, you're, you're looking at it and being like, oh, this is hilarious. And this, this is so funny that this is like so over the top yeah. and they're death, deathly serious like no this is exactly the way it needed to look totally. if it looked any other way it would have been disrespectful to the stuff we're talking about right and i think that that goes back to what we have discussed before when you've said that some of the shirts that you've seen made at the the homecoming games and some of the posters you've seen are like 
great art without oh, it, it trying, yeah. you know? And so this idea that when we were in this museum, I was like, this is also an exhibition of some kind of that, of you know, I'm also, this is, this is not just about basketball. This is about learning about a culture and uh, that, you know, that, that museum itself was kind of like its own sort of um, artfully executed uh, space uh, rather than someone trying to, to do something. It just was happening naturally. Yeah. That's I, if, if I have a choice, I think I'm more and more I'm leaning towards that. Yes. And in recognizing it, I mean, I think there's power in like recognizing it and, and saying, you know, this, this thing that just has occurred. Yeah. It just, sometimes it's more interesting than the thing we try for. If that makes sense. Oh, it makes perfect, perfect sense. Yeah. I love, I feel like New Orleans, New Orleans kind of like, um, it can kind of go in and out of being a little too aware of it, but mm-hmm. the the way in which there's so many kind of small boutiques and shops and museums to very peculiar things and kind of people's pet projects of the thing that they're obsessed with. But then there is a bit of awareness of it to the point where it's like, okay, we're going to make this a little weirder than it needs to be, yes. a little creepier than it needs to be. Um, a little more over the top, a little more Mardi Gras than it needs to be. But then there is a place where the bits of kind of sincerity break through. Um, I'm, I'm here for all of it. Yeah, no, and it just, it's, it's nice when it just kind of occurs in daily life rather than in like a specific context. It just sort of comes up. Yeah, so that has been the, that has been my existence for, the past couple months and then um i'm just that sounds cool yeah, yeah. it was great when, it was when, great this was over the summer you said it was during the world cup yeah this was at like the end of august it was basically i was there cool. from the end of august to early october and before that i had been in cincinnati working with a the gallery there and that was that was great and it's just um yeah it's i'm i'm back in tucson and, and trying to figure out um how to like keep the momentum up because it's just and y'all i mean i know tucson is in phoenix but y'all have like a competent basketball team now. apparently oh my gosh <laughs> who knew okay so let's dive into the season so far um and i want okay at the end of this conversation i'm gonna warn you or not at the end of this whole conversation but at the end of the segment um <laughs> i want to know what's your like who's your sort of the team that's not your favorite team that you're rooting for necessarily, but like, who's the team that's like, you kind of have a crush on that's like interesting to you yeah. in a way that you didn't I'll, I'll, expect. I have, a, I have a few of those. Okay. So we'll have to get into that. Um, so I don't know if you listened to my last podcast, but it was my first time having just me as a guest. Uh, I was my own guest and I it was like one kind of, kind of dissecting some of the China stuff. Yes. And I think that it was, I felt the need to speak about it because of Adam Silver's role. Um, I mean, sure. aside from all Very the big role. huge role and also this idea of just the, um, how, how sort of speech has played, uh, a role in these, like the two biggest controversies probably of his tenure as commissioner, just like what happened with Don- Donald Sterling and now what's happening. Very with true. The- yeah. I didn't think of those as both being like speech issues interesting well and one of them is so clearly obviously to me like such 
a problem that, of course, Donald Sterling should not be an owner in the NBA. And um, the other one, of course, feels um, well, I mean, it also feels that that Daryl Moore should be able to say what he wants. Um, and I support him in that. I want him to feel that. And I also just think it like gets dicey when we're all trying to respond or that when people are trying to respond to it in a way that like smooths things over because you can't smooth something over that's inherently a bad situation uh it's yeah. hard to just say like oh yeah like both sides it essentially like well they well the funny part is they they tried to yeah hopefully i don't step on anything um that you said or whatever oh, but they yeah. like tried to they tried their best to smooth it over but like china as a country seems unwilling to ever let anything be smoothed over like this is like if you're not going to play by our exact rules and feed into our warped idea of what the world is like we just want nothing to do with you like we don't care about relationships at all but you're trying to care about a relationship um so then finally it seemed like Adam Silver was just like, like, fuck it. Like we're going to stand by our people. We're going to stand by speech. And cause there's absolutely nothing we're going to be able to do to appease China. Yes. And that's such a sort of fucked up situation to have as far as, um, I mean, just the ongoing relation or the fact that we like, I mean, to some extent, it seems that we've put ourselves in a situation as a country where we need China um, and or we rely on China. And it's just um, I'm glad that he kind of stepped away from because it felt like some of the language he was using in the beginning was a little bit like, yes, moving it over or, oh, um, we offended all these people like we're we regret that, like all of these things that that felt a little bit um, kind of treating China as this like monolithic like rather than thinking about like there's like a bunch of individuals there who might be NBA fans and also glad that Daryl Morey said something about Hong Kong um, yeah and so I think that it just gets dicey when we're sort of treating this like huge country as if they have one thought um, so yeah it just it felt I mean China itself tries its best to make sure that right everything within its country is kind of under one banner, which is terrifying. Um, yeah, yeah I, I almost, it's interesting to me because I feel like there are these moments in time where like you don't realize how, like if I'm overall, I don't think I'm incredibly, I don't think I'm very, I think eventually Adam Silver handled it well. Um, but if there was anything that I was disappointed with and like, maybe like, I'm not going to be too hard on LeBron. Like, I don't think it's like, I very much disagree with him, but I'm not going to like kind of throw him on the, like throw him away for that. Um, But there is this idea that if anyone has any leverage in this completely intractable authoritarian world, perhaps it was, a figure that's as big as LeBron James, perhaps it was an entity as popular as the NBA. And what does it look like for the NBA to be as staunchly who it kind of claims to be putting the ball, like pun intended in China's court and letting the people within China be like, okay, I know that we treat the rest of the world like this, but do not 
take away our MBA. <laughs> like, right. What is it like? How how can I feel like there's there are points in times where there are people that have so much cultural power that they're able to shift politics and shift public opinion. Mm-hmm. And like, did the NBA have that and kind of throw away that potential? I don't know. It's so interesting to think about because it's true. Like it's, it's, there are, there are moments and there are certain cultural entities where it's like, you can, you can shift, you can change the trajectory or the relationship or uh, sort of how things evolve. And, and maybe this was it. I hadn't, I hadn't heard someone say it in this way. Until yeah, like on a, yeah. on a smaller scale, it worked. I mean, the state of North Carolina does not compare with the gigantic entity that is China. But oh. the NBA was able to force, was like a major part of forcing me, like, like North Carolina to yeah. change its like bathroom policy right. as it relates to like, like trans people. Yeah the exporting of American sports is a tricky thing to me because I want to believe that it can do, it does more good than bad. But I think there's also all sure. these like underlying historical facts we have to deal with of what colonialism looks like and what shape it takes and, and sort of infatuation with other people's bodies and sort of pushing hmm. other people's idea or pushing sort of your ideas onto to other people. And then also like the religious, like I think that basketball uh, spread due to missionaries, uh, at least in China and in, um, I know that my, uh, my great grandfather helped to open the first YMCA in the Philippines. Um, so it seems wow, like, that's an interesting connection. Oh my god, huh. I know he actually. He's, yeah, that's he's like a basketball young coach. men's Christian association. Yeah, yes, like the YMCA. And now basketball. I mean, he was a basketball coach in Nebraska. He his he moved his family to the Philippines, and then um, you know basketball is also a really big deal in the Philippines. So I just think that there's, I yeah, I just I'd like to think that, and and I think that was the idea originally, maybe through reaching out to different countries through basketball that, that there would be positive change occurring in those countries. But it doesn't seem like that's how it's, it's worked with China necessarily as far as spreading American ideals. Yeah. Cause I don't think, yeah, I'm not sure. Well, that's the, that's the strange part is that there is like maybe like maybe those ideals are spread, like you were saying, on an individual basis. Mm-hmm. And what does it look like? Like obviously, in May, it's probably not going to be the NBA that causes any sort of true democratic uprising within China. But like maybe it could. I don't know. Like some confluence of cultural. Like I don't. I, I also don't want to be the person who thinks that America has it all together and it's like, no, oh yeah, like China should be like America. It's like, nah, forget that. But no. um <laughs> yeah, if yeah, not at all. Um but even just looking at the the Hong Kong divide and like some of the ways in which American culture is being kind of used within some of the kind of Hong Kong protests is interesting to me. Um yeah, it's it's definitely like from a, just a thinking about it, um, 
it has no shortage of kind of nice hypotheticals of like, what is our, like, how can we work with people that we don't disagree with? Is it possible to do business with a country that, or what does that look like on a smaller scale? Is it possible to work with people who are doing things that we don't disagree with? Like, how does this relate to the kind of scandal this summer with the the Whitney Museum and the Whitney Biennial and the guy who was on their board who like makes money off of tear gas. Like, is it possible to even sit in the same room and do business with this person who's like war profiteering or do these things have to be divided? Is it impossible for a company that is about kind of equality and free speech like the NBA? Is it possible for them to do business with China? Um, And it seems like in the NBA's mind, they were able, and like most companies, which I don't disagree with fully, they're like able to do the moral calculus and say, okay, we're going to do this while also being this and projecting this. But it seems like China is nothing if not consistently themselves. And they're just like, no, there will be no compromise as soon as you said one thing about China and Hong Kong, like you're dead to us. Um, so it's, right. it's definitely fascinating. I'm so glad you brought up the comparison between what happened at the Whitney because it's this idea of how can we be wholly what we say we are? Um, or is that even possible? Is like it's possible? not, I just don't, yeah. Is it possible? So there are two ways to think about it. Is it possible to, to have like this pure integrity, um, yeah, is it? Yeah, I forgot the other way to think about it, but yeah, is it even possible? <laughs> well, and I think, I mean, I, yeah, well, I think that also goes back to what we were saying just a couple minutes ago, where it's like, we don't want China shouldn't like be like the United States necessarily. It's because it's no. like there's all these issues here as well. And I don't want to say that they're equal because I think there's some things happening in China that, that are not, that I am happy are not happening in the United States. And that even I have the chance to have this podcast and say what I want to about the president or, uh, capitalism or whatever it is. And I'm able to like dis- distribute it, um, is a good thing. I just, like, it's just this idea of like, I think art institutions, um, want to be seen as places for, I, I just think that there's issues when you, you need a lot of money, where's that money coming from? And usually it's coming from a place, it seems that's not that great. And how yeah. do you then fund people who, you know, I'm, I don't think there was an artist in the Whitney Biennial that was making work about tear gas, but it's like, do you choose the, just how do you, how can you be a space for commentary on social issues, social circumstances and our, our current state of sort of existence and what might need improvement and also like be bankrolled by, by someone who, who profits off of hurting each other to a certain extent. Yeah. Or if it's even possible. So it's like, if you don't like, you're always going to bump up against, something so it's like if you so i think the whitney did do a good job well they did a lot of things wrong (laughs) but they had artists they had artists within the show who were actually addressing 
I don't think it was, it wasn't a lot. It was like maybe one or two artists that were within the show actually addressing like the fact that this kind of dark figure was on the board. Mm-hmm. Um, but then that like almost wasn't enough for, so on this side, it was the artists and like the art community, not even the artists within the show, but like arts activists who were like, no, it's not even enough that you're addressing this in the show we need this person off the board. Like there cannot be any kind of association between us and this person, even though this person is giving money to the museum, supporting the museum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just I, I I came in I came out kind of on the middle on that issue of being like, ah, they're they're, they're good points on <laughs> yeah, I don't want to be that person who's like, ah, they're right and then they're right. Um and then what does that look like for the NBA and China being like, okay, China represents this huge pot of money, but then it's like, okay, there, there are other huge pots of money. Basically, this is only a money issue for you because if it wasn't about the money, you wouldn't be making these kind of compromises. And the same is probably true about the Whitney. Right. Yeah, so it's like if, yeah, go ahead, yeah, sorry. Go ahead, sorry. No, you, you, you. <laughs> I was just gonna say, when is when are is enough? How many pots of money do we need? <laughs> like the NBA already has a lot of pots of money besides China, and of course China is like a really big pot of money. But it's yeah. just this idea of can we do this in a way that you know everyone's still doing pretty well, and we don't need to have this like we don't need to compromise because. Um, there's things I that, mean you that... saw you saw the line, yeah. You saw <laughs> it in you saw it in you saw it in like LeBron's statements and like some of the owners' statements of being like, Ooh, we like free speech, but not that much. Like we don't oh. like it <laughs> it ain't worth billions, like it's worth like hundreds of millions. Um, which nice. is like the sad part about it. It's like, ooh, man, that's not a good look. Whenever really just a dollar figure that causes you to change your stance on something. And I don't think that we want to, like, I mean, as a fan of the, as someone who enjoys watching the NBA and therefore, like, I'm giving some kind of support to it and loves basketball, like, I don't. This is like how the sausage gets made is like this shit is nasty and gross and awful. Yeah. You know, it's like I, I think it's really important to know about it and not to be like, oh, yeah, that, you know, the NBA is perfect or, you know, they they stand up for all the right things and, and do all the right things. Like there's so there's so many there's like a hugely problematic history in the NBA because there's a hugely problematic history in the United States of, of yeah, in, exploitation in humanity and, in the world. In humanity yeah. in the world. So Yeah, I'm I'm almost like I almost I've found in this kind of China scenario like a a newfound well I, I mean I always love Charles Barkley, but like a new respect <laughs> for like Charles Barkley is like I'm not a role model Nike commercial and like how much kind of flack he got for that back in the day. Yeah. Um, Shout out to this, this podcast I, intro, intro, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's in, <laughs> um, Shout out to your own silver. Like, Thank you, Abdi. <laughs> yeah, he he understood. It's like, ah, you watch this because you like basketball, not because I'm a good person, not because I have all my ducks in a row politically and socially and mm-hmm. whatever. 
And it's like, when do we get to a point where, like, I, I would have almost preferred for like, LeBron James not to say anything. Like, people would have got on him. Like, he definitely needed to say something. People would have been mad at him for not saying anything. Right. But it's like, is it possible, is it possible to, like, I know he, he got in that huge, like, he has kind of that brand and, like, he has, like, the documentary and, like, from the kind of Fox News commentator that told him to shut up and dribble, which is horribly offensive. Um, but is it possible to just play basketball? I don't know. Like, just, like, I don't think I need the NBA to be this entity that knows what's right on every single social issue. But then once you dip into it on one front, you kind of have to be have integrity and, and exhibit it on all fronts. So you can't be mad at the president for his treatment of kind of black athletes, but then just turn a blind eye to the things that China is doing against Hong Kong. Like once you, yeah, once you make your bed, you're going to have to like sleep. I don't know. I know. And it's so strange because I think, yeah, I, I don't think what he said worked well for him, obviously. Um, and I wish that, you know, maybe that had been thought through in a different way, but I also think that it's a lot. I just, I think sometimes you can say that you don't know enough about a situation um, to, I think that he, this immediately saying, like the way he worded it wasn't great. And then also saying, um, bring up finances at all, not, not a good look. Um, even if it wasn't like the end, I mean, he was like, besides financial, there's like spiritual and emotional damage done. Yeah. He's like, like, uh, don't even say financial, (laughs) shut it down. Like get him out of here because it's like, we can't, we can't even comprehend how much money you have, like how much money you're making in China versus the United States. It's like, there's just, we, we can't think about that. Like I'm, I'm interested in the fact that it was hard to relatively speaking they had a hard time like the lakers and the nets had a hard time in china oh, boo-hoo. Well, yeah. <laughs> but I, I think that's an interesting story and it's an interesting storyline yeah, <laughs> but yeah. like also like that's that's what we need to talk about versus yeah, yeah i just can't and I, I also think that not to bring in one more subject matter to this already, we've already touched on a lot of different things. There's two more things <laughs> yeah, I want to bring up. Yeah, we started off about the like, Phoenix Suns and that they're actually like, maybe decent this year. I know, <laughs> exactly. Um, so two things. One is, okay, so in case I forget, I want to talk about Colin Kaepernick for a second and I want to talk about... Oh, wow, okay. Oh, wait, what was the other thing? Oh, I want to talk about Puerto Rico. <laughs> so just okay. if I forget, just try and remind me. Um, Colin Kaepernick and Puerto Rico. Okay. So it's Colin Kaepernick, this idea of of marketing activism and having activism be like a hot way to sell your product, um, who's yeah. standing up for what they believe in and what they care about and the social issues, especially um, on the on the left, on the progressive side of things. Um, I think that's also just like kind of a not cute business model of like, and I think the NBA has also like capitalized on being like the, of course, woke professional sports league where the players speak out and they wear t-shirts and they get to say what they want. Yeah. We're not like the big bad, like right wing NFL. Totally. Like we're not like Roger uh, Goodell. Yeah. Kind of the same. Yeah. No, (laughs) I think it is a little bit the same. And like, that doesn't mean that 
that doesn't mean I mean I think you know they have like the the players union has like advocates for themselves in a really powerful way and that's wonderful and like it's a player run league and the you know it seems like the players call some of the shots which is great like I I I want that I just think that I don't like seeing like Nike commercials about like I just I think there's like an ugliness in that branding of taking 100%. of taking pushing it back against saying like I'm going to sacrifice everything or I'm going to, you know, and I, of course, also want Colin Kaepernick to, like, play and make money and all of these things. It's just it it gets weird when you start bringing in these huge brands where you're like, yeah, doesn't Nike use sweatshops? And, like, you know, doesn't where, where are all these jerseys made and all of this stuff? Like, it gets a little bit like you're just kind of operating like any other company. Um, yeah, I was so torn. Like, I had so many conversations like I'm usually the most, I'm like the most cravenly capitalist of all my like kind of socialist artist friends. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like the most socialist of my like kind of regular non-artist, yes. non-socialist friends. Walk that <laughs> line. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'm like always, basically I'm just a devil's advocate in every scenario. Yes, um, I feel but that I definitely sometimes. had so many conversations with friends of mine who were so disappointed that Colin Kaepernick was doing those Nike ads. And I, I was always the one who was like defending him. Like, okay, shoot. If, if Nike wants to be buying something good, like why not just let him? Mm-hmm. Um, Agreed. Meanwhile, yeah. Meanwhile, while you're kind of getting mad at Colin Kaepernick, I look down at your feet and you got some like Nike Air Max 97s on. So it's like, we're all kind of complicit in this. Right. Um, but there was something, yeah, it, it's, there's something deflating about it and something short sighted where it's like, once you're standing up for the rights of one group, it's like, how do we ignore the, things that Nike's doing or the fact that Nike is only doing this because they see a bottom line goal. They know that like black people are a major part of their consumer base. And it's like, how do we differentiate ourselves from the other kind of faceless companies? Like they're not, there's no altruism in any of this. Mm -hmm. So it's like, how do we, and there's no altruism within the NBA. Like the NBA was super fine with having a racist slumlord like Donald Sterling be an owner for 30 years. And as soon as a kind of illegally taped conversation between him and his like mistress gets out into the world and becomes like a poor optic, then kind of the fires on the NBA's ass to kind of do something. But there was no altruism in any of these choices. Like they don't really care. So it's like, why have we all deluded ourselves into thinking that any of these companies care or from being super cynical that we even care. Like we don't, we, we don't put enough behind any of these things we say we believe. So it's almost like I, I would appreciate if there was just a little more honesty on that front. Like if LeBron James had gone up in that com- in that press conference and been like, you know what? I do stand for all these kind of cool things on American soil, but, damn, like, I make a lot of money in China and Dermoy's, like, kind of fucking this up. Um, so it's like, um, yes. it's like, that would just be refreshingly honest and true. Uh, and we're, I just think we're complicit in all of it. Like, mm-hmm. we want to pat ourselves on the back. We want to be like, oh, yeah, we're Nikes because they support Colin Kaepernick. 
and we don't want to think about their poor business practices or how they treat workers or any of these things. I'm saying all this while I'm wearing some Nikes, so I'm in I'm it. Loving, like, I'm loving wish, the contradictions. Yeah. Keep it coming, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's like I, I just wish there was more ability to have like an honest conversation, mm-hmm. but I don't think the public wants the larger conversation. No, yeah, and I, don't I think know. that's because yeah. of like being so – like I think that also – there's very little room to like make an error in a public space. Um, oh, a hundred percent. So yeah, I think we, that we, we don't allow for mistakes to be made. We don't allow for corrections to really work or people no. to evolve in their opinions. And I think that what you said about it being short sighted is really important because it's like, it's the moment they're capitalizing on a moment where for the first time the internet has allowed for us to see how the government treats black bodies different from white bodies as we are living, I think. And so we have are having all these strong reactions to the videos and also wanting to feel like we're a part of something that's better than that. Yeah, or it's, it's not even that it's like a first time because this is, I mean, historically, no, it's I'm just thinking forever, like the but it's like, I know, I, know exactly, I know exactly what you're saying. It's almost that the fact that it's, it's broadcast globally that all these or that all these conversations are happening in a public square that everyone is participating in, there's no longer Mm -hmm. an ability to like plead ignorance. So it's like, I need to have my right ducks in order on everything that is being discussed in the news um, because everyone knows that I'm checking Twitter. Everyone knows that I'm checking Instagram and Facebook. Um, But then with that, there's no, there's like, the, the need to posture initially and like give the right statement. And there's very little time given to actually unpacking the kind of sticky nuances of all of these things. I don't know. And right. like you said, there's no patience for anybody who doesn't have the right answer immediately. Yeah. And I also think that this is not something that I thought about until recently, but also that um, this idea of like, Nike capitalizing on this moment when you were saying that, that they know they have this like uh, uh, customer base of um, that they want to appeal to. I think it also goes for like sometimes um, like white people wanting to support a company that they feel is aligning with their progressive values. Oh, 100%. So yeah, when I, I just feel like, like that's not smart. the end game. <laughs> yeah. We have Nike's very smart, so it's like not the end. Like that's not what's going to fix the world, I don't think. I mean, I th- I, I agree to, to a certain extent that it's like, yeah, they're, they're giving Colin Kaepernick this platform. Like I want him to have a platform. I want him to be saying these things on out loud to like a mass audience. Like that's really important. But I think there's this like trickiness with it just all coming down t- to money and to, to like getting more people to buy the stuff not and selling the idea attached to a product rather than just the idea. Yeah. I, I personally kind of long for a world where these things can kind of be divorced from themselves. Like Mm -hmm. I, I don't really think I need my, yeah, I don't, I don't need political shoes. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, I don't need, I don't need the NBA to also be like my C-SPAN. I don't know. It's like, that sounds, Mm. I sound like, I sound like my, my grandmother right now, but it's like, (laughs) I just don't think they're good. I just don't think, 
they're good at it, you know? <laughs> no, because, because like you said, like there's so all these shallow. contradictions are just baked right in. It's just part of the, part of the, it's, it's an ingredient. Like if capitalism and a lot of money are there like this and not to use capitalism in an ab- abstract sense, but that's the system we're operating within. If this is part of it, then like, and you're benefiting from the system, it's hard to also be like, you know, the, the righteous league. Yeah, no. Yeah, you're definitely not weak. Yeah. Um, so Puerto Rico um, yeah, was yeah, the Puerto other Rico. thing is that I just, I know, and this is when it gets dicey for me because I don't want to say like anything that implies that I think that the relationship between Hong Kong and China is the same as the relationship between Puerto Rico and the United States. I, Ooh, I don't, no, that's interesting though. I don't it's think that, but I also think that it's how many politicians got involved with this discussion. There's also this space for saying like, well, we ha- we have what is essentially a colony as well that's part of the United States where people are not do not have like their senator doesn't vote and and they do not are not able to vote for the um the president and and all of these things it's like there's there is something that we say is a right here in the United States that you know and that our vote is kind of in a sense a form of speech and um that the people are not having access to that in, in, in parts of the United States and, and that are physically very, very close to us. And so this idea of like Ted Cruz being like, yeah, you know, like the NBA, like let us down and disappointed us and like isn't standing up for what we believe in. It's like we only believe in it, not for everyone. We believe in it for a certain yeah, amount the, of people. The hypocrisy is boundless. Oh, it's it boundless. like makes my just, I just want to. Like, yeah, take, take Puerto Rico out of the equation. What about like, like people who are like un been in the country forever, married to someone in the country, are somehow not able to get like naturalized in some sort of way and vote, or like ex cons or felons who are just completely stripped of their kind of rights to participate in uh in society and it's like, Oh yeah, but China's bad. It's like, yeah. come on now, like everyone <laughs> I know Everybody we all need to stand with like, those protesters in Hong Kong, like standing up for democracy and singing the national anthem. It's like, what if the same thing was happening in Puerto Rico? Or what if um, ex-felons who deserve the right to vote took to the streets to stand up for that for themselves? Like, there, we got some things going on that I yeah, think Ted we... Yeah, Ted Cruz does not want everyone in Texas that should be able to vote to vote. Oh, <laughs> no, no, because like, it would like, be, it'd be highly problematic. bottom line. Yeah. So I just think that, again, like super grateful to to get to, you know, be be a citizen of this country. Like, I feel like I I get to. um, Yeah, I I I'm not trying to say I'm ungrateful. I just also think that it's like we've got our own situations that I think are not just about, you know, mass shooters um, or police violence like and all of these other things that are issues, we also have things that are like slightly more comparable to what's happening between Hong Kong and China in some way. And we're, we're not, we're not standing by what we're saying we would stand by for Hong Kong. Um, not at all. Yeah. So that was my, that's my spiel. Um, Very well said. So no, back at you. No, I feel like it was important to say these things out loud because when I recorded the episode by myself, I just was like, 
I don't know what I'm talking about necessarily. I know how I'm feeling and I have my own opinions, but you know, I, I think I get into this space where it's like, am I right? But they're my opinions, you know, and it's what I, it's what I can do with the knowledge that I have. And I, I think that you have actually convinced me that it's okay to contradict yourself and it's okay to say you don't know. I mean, and it's just impossible not to. Like, I mean, part of it's like I don't want to. I don't want to always fall on that excuse of like, oh well, we're never going to have it together. So let me just kind of keep supporting these terrible companies and doing these terrible things and not caring about the bad things that are happening in my backyard. Like, like let everyone eat cake. Like whatever. Um, but yeah, there is like perfection is an impossibility. I'm not sure. Yes. And I, I agree. And, um, I also want to let you know that I, I've been in touch with Adam Silver as, um, I, I don't know if you heard on the last podcast, but I like sent him all these letters I had written to him. Um, but as like pieces of art, um, and Fantastic. this fan relations dude named Bill got back to me. And he was like, essentially, because in some of these letters, I was talking to Adam Silver about like how I, I kind of disagreed with him because he reminded all of the players before the start of the 2017, 2018 season that they have to stand for the national anthem. Um, yeah. So I was like, listen, I mean, in my letters, I was saying like, I don't think that, you know, I, I think that as as we have taken, as the NBA has taken this mantle of being like the progressive league, like let's have that start with like the fundamentals of how we treat each other's bodies, because that's like the, that's what's at the crux of like all sports. Um, or what I, you know, sort of believed at the time that these are grownups, these are adults who should be able to sort of use their body in a peaceful way as they feel they want to. Um, and I felt strongly about that. Anyways, you know, Dan got back to me from fan relations and he was like, you know, Adam Silver does all these work, all this work with the players about social issues that they care about in their communities, just so you know. And also the rule about standing for the national anthem has been a rule for 30 years. So it's not Adam Silver's fault. And I was like, you know what? <laughs> a bad rule is a bad rule. And if we left all bad yeah. rules stand because they've been around for a while, like that's bullshit. And I feel like that was such a cop out. And I really somehow want it's a to... cop out but it's the party line and Ugh. it's also and it the, the sad part is that it's it was like negotiated in like one of the kind of collective bargaining agreements so this was like a joint decision like it was probably i doubt players themselves were the ones pitching this but it was definitely something like top down the players and owners and administrators of the league deciding that this was going to be in their collective bargaining agreement. Mm -hmm. But it's like, this should be something that's on whatever the next, whenever they're going into negotiation negotiations <laughs> for a new contract, it's like, yeah, yeah. I'm just not sure that's ever going to be something that, that ha I mean, literally like Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf, um, who used to play for the Nuggets, yeah. like this is kind of one of the reasons he was eventually kind of pushed out of the league totally. is that he was like one of these people. And then it, it's like they have more of a grounding to stand on in the NFL because in the NFL, it was never like an explicit rule. Exactly. But in the NBA, it's like, 
oh, you signed on to this, so you're complicit also. You signed the contract, so now we can do whatever you want to when you change your mind about something. Which I think goes back totally to what you're, we were talking about with your work in the beginning of this discussion about just kind of like you becoming the thing that you work for rather than being who you are. Um, oh, I mean, it, and, and, like it, and it goes the... to like bigger things. Yeah, it's like what does yeah. like what it means to be an American like 2008 to 2016 is different than what it means to be an American 2016 to now it's like like who you are shifts depending on things that you don't necessarily have complete control over which is terrifying right no i mean and for me it's not like i if if there's no players that actually want to kneel then it's like it's not like i'm like everyone needs to be kneeling like it's more of just being like that's your like you should be allowed to do that if you want to if you if you're if that's what you feel is an important thing to do to you it's about just like having sovereignty over your own body when you're not yeah, it's, inflicting it's harm about on bodies. someone else it's about yeah. bodies it's so much about bodies yeah, it's and not like, about it's not about the flag like no one like no. it's not about patriotism it's not about it's about we can tell you what to do we want you to look a certain way we want Yes. People to show up to press AI. conferences, shirt and tie. <laughs> like we want, yeah, we want you to have a dress code. Like we want all of these things. Um, yeah, it's never been about patriotism. It's like the same thing that like, like abortion isn't about, like we're not going to go here, but like abortion isn't about babies. Like it's about mm-hmm. controlling women. Like it's not about, yeah. it's not about these things that people say that they believe in. I don't know. No, it's it's a complete. Um, it's it's taking something. It's it's building a narrative, a false narrative around um, things in order to use them for propaganda, and it's so so, just destructive and and awful. And like the people who are victims of this, um, yeah, it just you know it's it's not the people who have power. Yeah, um, or like you know, there's you know, LeBron James is a billionaire and he has power to some extent, but it's also like, it's, I don't know. It's just, it's tricky because he is not allowed to kneel. He's not allowed to take a knee. Like what? That's crazy to me. Well, I mean, the the funny part about that is like LeBron James has transcended the NBA. Mm-hmm. And that's what, that's what was disappointing in his statement is that LeBron James is immune. Like the 12th man on the bench is not immune to it. But LeBron James is immune to it. Like a LeBron James could do whatever he wants as it relates to his body within the NBA, pretty much. And he could be that kind of catalyst for change large in a larger way. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the fact that he doesn't do that, I mean, that's, that's his prerogative. But, right. um, yeah, so there are certain players that do transcend that limitation. Mm-hmm. And like, what are they using that platform for? I mean, I commend him. He's, he's used this platform in a lot of ways to do some really cool things. So it's like, I'm not going to throw away all the good stuff that he does because I disagree with him on this kind of China stance. Um, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I, I, I don't know why I see that in there, but yeah, no, I, I feel like there are some players that are, yeah. And I, and I think also just it goes back to like being like, what could the NBA do in China if they chose to? sort of uh, 
change their relationship so it wasn't so reliant on just making money? Like, how could the NBA af- affect things positively? Um, but, I mean, LeBron does affect a lot of things positively, and he doesn't need to affect everything. And it's just more of, like, seems like such an archaic rule to me. And also this idea that, like, why can't Adam Silver just say, instead of saying, oh, the NBA's always valued free speech, why can't he say, like, yeah, we really fucked up that Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf thing. Yeah. <laughs> like, this idea of just, you know, we need to... It, it, there's no moving substantially forward without kind of acknowledging some of these other things. I'm sure that... When Mahmoud Abdurraouf hears Adam Silver say that, he's like, what? <laughs> um, I mean, I'm not totally sure, but maybe that happens. Because it just seemed like that was not the case when, when he was... I mean, I definitely think he's probably someone with very clear eyes as to the hypocrisy of these entities that claim to be virtuous. Yes, hypocrisy of entities that claim to be virtuous. That's great. That's wonderfully said. <laughs> um, we have got to get him on the pod. I've got to. Oh um, yeah, just I think ask... he's. Um, do you ever listen to the um, the the Slate Sports podcast? Hang up and listen. No. Yeah, he was on that one like maybe Shit. two or three years ago, in the midst of the like the highest highs of the kind of Colin Kaepernick situation, yeah. talking about his own kind of battles with the NBA, and it was quite illuminating yeah i um yeah i totally i think he's really interesting i've I've just watched some lectures of his on on youtube and the one thing that i remember is that he said that they told him and they said publicly that they were going to find him and they never find him which i thought Hmm, was really interesting. interesting that there was this idea of saying of like publicly having to take some kind of stance and say like we do this but that like he he said like no money was ever taken out of my bank account like i was never so it's like y'all don't actually believe this y'all just want to make people think that y'all believe exactly like david stern (laughs) knows what's right i mean but he just doesn't he just maybe which is almost more which is more hypocritical exactly i mean it's like worse that it's uh, so that's also just an interesting fact so i think you're right that that he would have like a lot of um I mean, he would have some interesting insights that I think uh, are difficult to get to without speaking to someone who actually, like, experienced that kind of um, sort of uh, isolation and, and, and being pushed out because of what you peacefully choose, again, to do with your body. <laughs> Oy.